This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Age of Radio. I got another request for someone to start this episode to join us. All right. Yeah. Um, it's so, not. It's not Daniel Day Lewis, is it? No, no. If if it was him, actually, I wouldn't know. So it might be. I don't think oh, so. Shit. I'm pretty sure it isn't. Okay. Uh, so I'm just gonna bring him in. Is it my dad? No. <laughs> I couldn't find him. Okay. Uh, no one can. <laughs> so let me just bring him in. Uh, you want to come in, Thomas? Oh, hey, guys, how's oh. it going? <laughs> toot, toot, that's pretty Thomas. Oh, boy. You guys watched a movie last week called Train Spotting. Uh, yeah, well, it did have the word train in the title, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you seen it, Thomas? Yeah. Well, I saw the one scene where there's a train. Okay. Because um, I, I, they're, they're, like, by the tracks, and they're all high, and a train goes by. I've got some horrible news for you. Yeah? Uh, this movie is about heroin addiction. Uh, trains can get addicted to heroin. Oh, it's not about trains, Thomas. Just that one scene. But, but it's called train spotting. Yeah, I know, I know, and it's a misleading name. And and I said that too because when I when I saw it originally, I I thought, man, there is a distinct lack of trains in this movie. Well, why didn't anyone tell me? I mean, Jason should have told you. He's the one who invited you. Look, I'm not your keeper. Okay, look, you can watch whatever you want. I mean, I I, I you you asked me. Thomas to be on this show. I didn't ask you. Well, it, it, you shouldn't have been a pal because that's that's not cool. That's not cool. You guys watching watching these movies talking about trains and no trains in it. That's that's insulting to my people. My uh, train people. Listen, I don't want to equate this with a real thing in the world, Thomas. So maybe we should. Uh... All I want to say is that if Gordon were here right now, he'd fuck you up. Well, there goes the language. I'm going back to heaven. Which one? That's up to you to decide. Woo! Woo! Jetpack. Wow. Even Jet, He got yeah. a jetpack upgrade. He did, yeah. It was, uh, uh, Jason, I'm blown away by this get. Mm. Um, I don't know quite what to make of all the, what just happened. Well, I mean, Thomas, I, I figured it was worth having him on because, you know, he's a pretty well-known figure. Um, a lot of, he's got a very good Q rating. His SEO's off the charts. Um Especially after that whole uh, uh, Skyrim mod thing where they put him in the in Skyrim and he was the dragon. Uh, a Q rating? You mean like he was one of the people that um, stormed the capital? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think... I, you know what? If he, I, I, I can't confirm or deny that, but I'll say he was there in spirit at minimum. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I saw some Thomas flags. Ooh, ooh, stop the count. Yeah. Or, or start the count, depending. But that's Depen- not what we're here to talk depending about. Depending on what state he was in at the time. We're here to talk about a movie this week. Yes, and it's called The Great American Con Job, and it's about how Donald <laughs> Trump had this election stolen from him, and it's all a lie! Please welcome our first guest, Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh? Hey! Oh, oh, he, he said something, but then he deleted it before we saw what it was. Oh, yeah, and then he climbed into his home a literal trash bag on the yeah. ground. 
All right, well, you stay over there, Dinesh. Uh, we'll come back to you. <laughs> That's not the movie we're talking about. No. Wait, but this is, where's we got to say this is a podcast, This Jason. is a podcast. You are getting it in your ears from the internet. It is a podcast about the top 100 British films of all British time released, well, created in the most British year of 1999. Well, before the movie. They weren't all Well, the list was created. The, the, the list, list was, was created. The movies, folks, you have to understand, the movies were not all shot that in would 1999. Be, that would be impressive. I mean, it would be the greatest year in British film history, no question. It'd be like the American 1999. But that is what we do on this podcast, yes. which is called... For Screen... And Country. Yes, and I am Brendan. And I am Jason. And you knew that. But we are, gonna, we are going to uh, talk about... A movie on this list this week. But before we talk about that movie, we need to read some comments about last week's film, Train Spotting. Yes, so as proclaimed by Lord Beaverton II, let us read these comments, Jason. They were proclaimed. This is These are royal comments these of sorts. Royal comments. Um, these are comments about last week's film, Train Spotting. Start us off, Jason. Well, uh, with the finale word is Matt Finale. And Matt says, top 10 movie of all time for me. If you want to understand withdrawal in an entertaining, quote unquote, way, it's brilliant. Between this, Requiem for a Dream and Drugstore Cowboy, this is my favorite. Yeah, I haven't seen Drugstore Cowboy. No, 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 no. Requiem for a Dream is such a bummer. Yeah, no, that's okay. Well, next week we'll watch Drugstore Cowboy. Um, John Voight in that one, or is that Urban Cowboy? Or, uh, that's Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> Urban okay. Cowboy is the Uma Thurman one, I think, or John Travolta. There's a lot of different cowboy movies. Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah. Ah, Real Cowboys. Uh, sure. Uh, cowboy versus Ninja. Uh, the, the, the Cowboys of Moo Mesa. Uh, cowboy Cowboy Mania. That was the one year WrestleMania was just horse riding contest. Yeah. No, horse riding, not bull riding. A lot less entertaining of a sport. And finally, Bonanza. <laughs> and Cowboy Bebop. Oh, of course, yes, obviously. Lots of cowboys. <sighs> so, yes, I hope that answers your comment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Cerrotti says, I was having fun doing drugs around this time when Train Spotting came out. Well, not, not as hard as heroin, but this film is a personal favorite of mine. The film is wickedly funny, has an amazing soundtrack, and is gorgeously shot. When I find it on streaming services, I have to watch it. I don't know what it is, this Brendan. This is CNN. I don't know what it is, Brendan, with drug users like watching movies about drug users and things go badly because we, we we watched this movie and unlike requiem for dream and shit and we were like smoking weed and doing acid and shit in university well i, I was smoking weed anyway yeah i mean but you know we were all getting fucked up and watching these movies like what were we doing i'm not a degenerate like you taking acid yeah well although to be fair i didn't watch this on acid i don't think i could have uh i don't think i could have done that but but we did watch it we were really stoned and that fucking baby scene fucked me up Oh, oh man, that shit's crazy. You want to hit this? I mean, I, yeah, I need to. I need, I'm like her. I need a hit after that shit. Uh, all right. Another serial commenter, Andrew Littlefield. Hi, Andrew. He says, love this movie. It both shows the allure of heroin and the harsh consequences of it. It amazes me that right-wingers thought this film glorified drug use. Oh, you mean like the scene where the hero is lying in bed, going through withdrawal, screaming and imagining a dead baby on the ceiling? Yeah, it looks like fun. You're right. right. You're right. They just, they don't get it because they don't fucking watch the movies, man. The yeah. Same thing with like Life of Brian. You know, these Catholics were mad at the movie, but they hadn't seen it. They didn't know what the hell was going on. To every politician that has a hard time with this, I mean, just ask your, probably your son. 
Yeah, ask your kids, man. You got to talk to your kids. This is really what this is about. You need to talk to your kids, talk people. Talk to your fucking children. Talk to your goddamn kids once in a while. Uh, Renee Brunner Van Alstel. What a fucking fantastic name, Renee. Uh, Renee says, the soundtrack alone. I described this movie to my mom as a high-wire trapeze act in which there are multiple artists blindfolded and juggling, and sometimes one of them falls off. You get exactly what you hope won't happen, but you know it probably could, and when it does, you're still shocked. But in the meantime, there is just awe and wonder and celebration when one makes it to the other side. That's a pretty good analogy. Yeah. I don't have anything to say. This is great. I, yeah, that just needs to sit out there for people to chew on. Chew it up. Thanks, Renee. That's a great comment. Our next comment comes from another serial commenter, Adam Pellman. I'm getting all the greatest hits today. I love it. The high watermark of 90s British cinema, in my opinion. I remember when this film came out with its style and energy. And yes, as others have said, that amazingly kick-ass soundtrack. It was like a shot in the arm. Pun intended. Oh, Adam, you silly person, you. Coincidentally, Adam writes, I just recently finished reading the source novel by Irvine Welsh, who appears in, a, in the film as a bit part as a drug dealer. We did mention that. It was brilliant, but a tough linguistic adjustment to make due to all the Scots. And I know you said his name was Adam Pellman, but I think you mean Adam Punman. Ah, there he is. That's his new Adam the Pun Man Pellman. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's the worst wrestling gimmick. <laughs> oh, man, his promos would be fucking great. <laughs> um, okay, Nancy Rat Rat says, I think it's the most quintessential drug movie. I have a soft spot for Panic in Needle Park, but I recognize this is about a thousand times more iconic. I could do without Requiem for a Dream. It's a bit overbloated, a bit self-satisfied, a bit too horrific, but in a real schmaltzy way. See, I I, I see what you're saying, Nancy, about Requiem for a Dream, uh, I, but I think it's such a good... Uh, you know, good movie to use to scare teenagers off drugs that, yeah, maybe a bit bloated and schmaltzy and self-satisfied. Sure. But it's, uh, I would say the benefits are great in that we keep children off heroin. So show them this movie, traumatize them and send them to the pits of hell. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Brendan. Uh, our next comment comes from first time commenter, Sharon Horwat. Never, never has written in before. Uh, first time, long time. Says, of all the, quote, drug movies, I think Train Spotting is the best. It manages to balance the dark stuff with comedy perfectly and plays certain scenarios in a way that really works. Also, I was talking to my dad about the book the other day, and something he told me was, much like the Game of Thrones books, oh God, where are we going here? Certain chapters are told from different characters' POV. Oh, thank God. One of the characters has an incredibly thick accent in the book, and all of his dialogue is spelled phonetically in the book, so the only way he could understand it was if he read those sections aloud. It was quite funny. Did you think she was going to say there was like 20 scenes of rape or something? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I like those books, but there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of darkness. And I mean, it's true. There's a lot of darkness in a book about heroin, I imagine. It's a lot of darkness in all of us, Jason. So to my, my, my darkness... Uh... <laughs> hello, my old friend. Hello, my old friend, darkness, a.k.a. Sharon Harwatt. Thank you. Wow. Sharon, you are Jason's darkness. <laughs> I guess you're my darkness now, Sharon. Um, okay. Uh, well, to get off this uh, strange subject, uh, Raymond Townsley says, Since I'm Scottish, there may be a, b a bit of bias, but I adore this film. I was lucky enough to meet Danny Boyle on the set of the sequel. Very nice guy. What a great British name, Raymond Townsley, just as a whole from the whole island. I mean, I get it. You're, you're Scottish, so but you don't have a Mick name, which is, which is cool. Uh, I respect the non-Mick Scottishes. <laughs> Oh, 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 careful. No, we're <laughs> not talking about the Irish. It's all right. I got close. All right. <laughs> Our next comment, Brendan, comes from Donna Raphael. Donna says, Train Spotting is a movie that I can watch over and over. I love it. Always have. 
I personally think it's a pretty good anti-drug representation movie since pretty much everyone who does heroin in the movie is messed up. Rents almost dies and he looks terrible in most of the movie, sickly, dirty clothes, etc. Spud goes to jail and is seen in a literal gutter at one point. Sick boy loses a child of neglect. Tommy gets AIDS. Like, the only good thing at the end is that Rents is, like, fucking off into the sunset to be clean and away from these guys. Well, we'll see. Train spotting too, as they say. Our last comment, Jason, comes from Elizabeth uh, Lucy? Lucci? I apologize. I, I like Lucci. Lucci <laughs> sounds good. Might be Lucci. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. My ex-husband, RIP, was an addict and loved it because it showed the it showed the joy of heroin, not just the misery. I love it too. A pretty good uh, book to movie translation. Well, wow. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry for your loss. That's uh, that's rough. Um, that but yes. that is like a that is like a good example of like how this played to everyone because i mean people across the board pretty much saying like it's not glorifying at all it's just showing what it is that's it if you want to be honest about it if you want people to take you seriously and and believe what you're saying you do have to show the full breadth of it and yes there because ultimately there is a reason why people do heroin and that's and that's why um reefer badness is one of the great documentaries of our time it showed all the things that happens when you smoke weed. When, I, I don't, can't tell you how many nights I've been at home, I've been smoking a joint, and I just start maniacally playing the piano. And I don't know how to play the piano, but man, I'm just, I'm just pounding out the devil's music. Dude, we, we, we did a pretty good like duet earlier. We did it off camera because we're idiots. Yeah, I know. We should have recorded it. But when you're on that kind of a hard drug like marijuana, it, it fucks with your head, man. <laughs> That's right. Jason, you're going to take the reins for this last little bit. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to compare this movie to the AFI Top 100. Only this... took us like 78 episodes or something for me to finally have a chance to do I'm this. I'm giving you some responsibility. Don't fuck it up. And it turns out... Oh, wait. Well, hold on. Because Train Spotting is number 10. Number, train Spotting is number 10 on the BFI list. And what is number 10 on the AFI, Jason? Well, this is... This, and this is a treat because it's a movie I've actually seen. So oh. we can talk about it. Number 10 on the AFI list is The Wizard of Oz. Oh, Wow. Oh, wow. Also a drug movie of a sort. <laughs> well, was paired with certain other things. I mean, yeah. you, you could really look at it like Dorothy took some fucking laudanum, uh, which was, you know, old-timey heroin, and just, like took a big swig of it and then laid down in that bed and had that whole adventure and then woke up back in Kansas and she was super happy to see everybody. But what we don't see is when she goes in withdrawal about 30 minutes thereafter. <laughs> so is the is the dead witch uh, just a version of the... Or the dead baby just a version of the dead witch? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure Danny Boyle originally thought about having a house fall on the baby. <laughs> But but didn't think that that would hold water with the kind of the grounded nature of the rest of the movie. There's just a random scene where they managed to figure out a way to fly their house, and it, and they accidentally landed on the baby. Oh man! And you just see the baby's little socks poking out. Oh. <laughs> that sounds so whimsical and awful at the same time. Well, I mean, what better way for a child to die? <laughs> Having a house land by, whims- by I'm saying a whimsical way. Listen. There's no better whimsical way for a child to expire than by a botched Buster Keaton stunt. <laughs> Absolutely. That's how you want to be memorialized. Jason, so Wizard of Oz. This is fucking tough. Yeah, I mean, I, this I, is an iconic movie. Yeah, I, I like and respect Wizard of Oz uh, a lot. It's an enjoyable film, but it is, it's almost like, it just is. Like, it's, it's, not, that, it's not that it's a, I don't think of it as a movie. I think of it as like a cultural artifact, you know? Train spotting, I think, is a film. It, it, it feels like a movie. It's it's and it's great and everything. I I probably would go with train spotting because I think ultimately it's a it's a more interesting type of movie to me. But Wizard of Oz, again, it it is what it is. Wizard of Oz just is. It doesn't matter whether anybody likes it or not. It exists. Here, here's the thing for me, Jason. It's hard to imagine 
an AFI top 100 without the Wizard of yeah, Oz. No, absolutely. You have to have it on there. It's easier for me, not that it sh- this should be the case either, but it's easier for me to imagine a BFI top 100 without train spotting. Harder to imagine maybe the BFI top 100 without like Lawrence of Arabia yeah. would be maybe the equivalent. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I have to say that I would, I would go with the Wizard of Oz just for that reason. It, it's, um, it's, it's both a great movie and it, and it is so significant technologically and, and to the fist, history of film. Not, yeah, the, not the, the history. The history of film is a whole different story. <laughs> that's, that's the Wizard of Ass. Yes, that's the Wizard of Ass. The, 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 the entire history of the Wizard of Ass available <laughs> now on DVD and VHS. That, that's like when Quentin Tarantino was going to put those Kill Bill movies all together. Yeah. The whole bloody... <laughs> the whole bloody affair. Yeah, it'd be like the, 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 the whole bloody history. Mm. The Wizard of Mm, no, 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 no. So you had the Wizard of Az, the Wiz. All, everything. The Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> Ooh. All right, that's that's enough. Let's get, we got to talk about uh, this week's movie, Jason. My name is Joe. It's Shanks here that uh, managed to drag me, kicking and screaming in my first day meeting. And I sat there, um, not a happy chappy. I just wanted to do it at that place. The top table was this guy with all these scars on his face. Mean, mean looking bastard. And he was telling us how, uh, he started off by telling us how he stabbed this postman and he got life for it. And all the time this guy was talking, I just, I just looked at this guy and looked at Shanks and thought, what, so that's an alcoholic? I mean, this guy had done his 15 years in the jail. Then they put him in a hostel on his lonesome. No support, nothing. He takes to the booze. The booze leads to the jail. The jail, jail back to the hostel. Hostel to the booze, booze to the jail. And this poor bastard's on this fucking choo-choo train through the gutters. But even as he's telling us all this, did I give a monkeys? Did I fuck? I sat there, a big grin on my face, looking at Shanks like, all right, so that's an alcoholic. And this poor guy's life got even worse. He ends up on the street, gangrene, arse hanging out his trousers, sleeping in his own vomit. Utter misery, and I did not give a toss. Because I shook hands with these poor unfortunates, and as soon as I walked out that door, I thought, my name is Joe, and thank fuck I am not an alcoholic. Five years later, my second meeting, Shanks once again dragged me to it. Five very, very <coughs> long, miserable years. I'm there because I couldn't say, I couldn't take the knot out of that sentence. I couldn't say nine simple words. My name is Joe, and I'm an alcoholic. And there was a wee woman there that night. Tiny, tiny wee frail woman who whispered, whispered everything. And she says something that was so simple. She says, I can no longer drink with safety. And that really touched me. Even in the state I was in, I was in a real state, and she looked me right in the eyeballs, and she said, remember, you are not alone. And I looked at this woman and I thought, you're me. This wee woman gave me the courage to start the 12 steps. Way, shanks there. And I'm no stupid. I know that... I've got a long way to go. I take one day at a time and I, and I pray and I just hope to Christ I get through it and I know there could be all sorts around the corner. But I'm really, really glad to be here and I'm very grateful to be sober. So I just wanted to play that whole monologue because I think it's uh, it's a little long, but I think it's a great way to kind of jump into this movie. And the movie in question, Jason, is called My Name is Joe. And no, he's not Canadian. That's for all our Canadian listeners. If you grew up in the 90s and were watching linear television, you might remember that, but that's not what this is about. No, it is not. Uh, this movie is released in 1998. Mm. Um, so it's one of the newest movies on the list. I yes. think this, Shakespeare in Love, and Elizabeth, which are all basically the same movie, right? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're all released uh, the last year of eligibility, I believe, for this list. Now, 
This movie is our second feature that we've talked about directed by Ken Loach. Mm-hmm. We talked about when he directed uh, Kess. And this is our third uh, Scottish movie in a row. In a row. And That's it's right. been an interesting progress. I want to talk about that briefly because okay. we three weeks ago we watched, uh, as our last bread pick, we watched I Know Where I'm Going. Well, two weeks ago, but yes. Or two weeks ago. I don't know. I understand time. Uh, it's a social construct. A few episodes ago we watched I Know Where I'm Going. And, and as we pointed out in that episode, that was mostly British actors um, with a few Scottish actors in the sporting cast. Uh, and they were doing very bad Scottish accents. And then the next week we watched Train Spotting. And now Train Spotting featured actual Scottish actors and actually shot in Scotland. And it was much more. It was much more. What's the word I'm looking for? It was much more Auth- grounded. Authentic? Authentic. That's the word. Thank you, yeah. Brendan. It was a much more authentic sounding movie and it was very enjoyable. This week we went one step further where, where last week was Scottish, but it was perfectly understandable. This week it is. We are into like hardcore Scotch territory of yeah. trying to parse out. And, and it was so good for you, Brendan, to play me that monologue again because not only was I able to better understand it this time through, I, I understand what he, who he was talking about when he was talking about Shanks and I, I got that whole thing more so that is even better now um i had the subtitles on this is a subtitles movie <laughs> i will say that no right i now. i toughed it out i said no oh. i'm gonna i'm gonna go whole hog on this one wow we could have been talking about two complete we could talk about two completely different movies very much so it's very possible <laughs> uh all right so my name is joe yes so like i said ken loach second movie we done he did Kess. we both talked about Kess a long mm-hmm. time ago um yes a groundbreaking movie really yes. um the style and everything and this this fits right alongside Kess in the Ken Loach canon, I would say. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I would say it's it's filmed a little more conventionally though, mm-hmm. and a little bit more modern. It doesn't it has the pacing of a modern movie, but we have some kind of similar, um, like like kind of a similar, very much with his films based on what I know of his films, and I've really only seen the two of these, but I was looking at his filmography. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of movies about poor people or people on the yeah. margins, uh, uh, prisoners, uh, uh, you know, people that are downtrodden and kind of under the thumb of the system in some way, and it, it dovetails into his own personal politics, which is quite left wing. Um, quite socialist, old school British socialist kind. So of. when you say left wing British, are you talking about? Is that essentially left wing here? Yeah, it's similar. Okay. Similar. Well, in I, the sense that, yeah, he he was a member of the Labour Party, which is a left leaning party in the same way I would say the Liberal Party in Canada, the Democratic Party, maybe in the states, are ostensibly left leaning. Okay. Um, although I would say it generally used to be more left leaning than say the Liberal Party of Canada, but it's become a much more conventionally. I don't know how you describe that, that uh, the corporatist, uh, vaguely liberal kind of political party. And so he's not even a member of the Labour Party anymore. He actually joined like a weird, <laughs> a weird tiny left wing party uh, that had its own little tiny split okay. because, of course, Life of Brian was right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, so he's, he's a pretty like progressive guy. And, and you know, and, and I believe he's also very pro-Palestinian, uh, anti-Israeli in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Um, not, not. I don't believe in an anti-Semitic way. I think just he's against Israel, and I think you can be against Israel without being and anti-Semitic. As far as I know, there was some fire, uh, not some fire, but I think some of his friends came under fire for some anti-Semitism, possibly mm. in the Labour Party as well. Yeah, well, that, that's been a thing that's been running through there, and yeah, I think there probably is some of that that's in there, but also it is often confused with people that have a legit problem with the government of Israel versus the Jewish, uh, Jewish people as a culture or religion. Like, that's... right. Not the issue. It's the actions of the Israeli government, whoever they may be. So this movie, this movie, this movie stars two people that we've actually talked about before. 
Um, so we have Peter Mullen, of mm-hmm. course. We talked about him last week, yeah. Jason. He was Mother Superior. Mm-hmm. He was their dealer. He was their guy <laughs> in Train Spotting. Peter so, Mullen is playing Joe Cavanaugh. Yeah. This this is what Joe did in, in his drinking days. He right. Was, uh, <laughs> right. Mother Superior. Oof. Uh, Louise Goodall plays Sarah Downey. Uh, the love interest. Mm-hmm. Although she has her own full character. She's not just a love yeah, interest. Yeah. Uh, David McKay plays Liam. His, uh, I, I'd say Joe's, I mean, younger friend that he's trying to help get get a better life. It's definitely like a mentor-mentee yeah. relationship. He he asked him once about if he's still clean, and I'm wondering if he's like a sponsor maybe even for him, for his own uh, addict issues. Yeah, possibly. Um, Anne-Marie Kennedy plays Sabine. That's Liam's uh, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Heyman. Do you remember David Heyman? We talked about him in Hope and Glory. He's the dad. Oh. We talked about him in uh, the the long-awaited sequel, Queen and Country. Right. Um, he plays McGowan. He's McGowan. He's oh, McGowan. That's, I, I didn't even put two and two together because he's such a, a different guy. He's such a rat-faced yeah. fucker in this one versus, <laughs> you know, the kind of fun dad he was in the other movies. Yeah, very different character in this movie. Um, yeah, he plays McGowan. Gary Lewis is playing Shanks and Lorraine McIntosh as Maggie. Gary Lewis. Sarah's friend. Apparently has been in a lot of stuff. He's an outlander, apparently. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So good on him. So my name is Joe. Actually, my name is Brendan, but this is how I'm going to make that joke uh, all night, baby. <laughs> no. Um, so this movie, my name is Joe. Um, Jason, did you know anything going into this no, movie? No. No. Not, not I, I knew as much about this as I knew about Kess going into it. Okay. So, well, I, mean, I think Kess, you probably were like, oh, it's probably about a falcon. Uh <laughs> no, I thought, ooh, is this like a prequel about the prequel to Star Trek Voyager? But it was not. Well, I don't think you watched the movie properly then. Well, that's what I thought. But then I watched it and realized it was about a bird. So I was like, oh, okay. Mm. But going into it, I had no idea what it was about. Take another look, Jason. I think you'll be pleasantly <laughs> surprised. I'm a, sorry. I'm a what? My new character, my new gimmick is to uh, just talk to people like those mm. BuzzFeed quizzes, yeah. those clickbait uh, things. Like, number six might surprise you. <laughs> But this movie, actually, I was thinking about it, and you know what? It, you're gonna you're gonna laugh when I say this, but you know what this movie kind of reminds me of? Okay. Life is sweet. I know I could. No, I can see that because this is a slice of life in the same way life life is sweet is a slice of life. Except this is a much darker slice of life. But I would argue that life is sweet did have a lot of dark. There moments. was darkness in there, but, but overall, it, it was kind of a. It, uh, it felt very positive. It was tempered nature. with comedy and yeah, good yeah, yeah. human and nature. There's, stuff. And there's comedy in this a little bit, not very much. It's but there different. Is some. It's, it's different. Not the same. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this is a much more like like I don't know. I don't want to say like pessimistic view. That's not the right word, but like maybe realistic view of, it, of the shittiness sometimes of life. Now I wonder because. I think this is always. I think Ken Loach has always taken this slightly pessimistic view of society, mm. and I'm wondering if this is something that Mike Lee actually looked at and and utilized in his own movies. Because I mean, Life is Sweet comes out way after Kess, yeah. Um, and we another Mike Lee movie we talked about, Happy Go Lucky. Mm. Uh, we still have, I think, we still have another one on this. Li- oh, we still have maybe two more, I yeah. think, on this list at some point. But yeah, I'm wondering if there's just some uh, some influence there. Mm. Yes. So, yeah. No, I agree. that It did definitely remind me of that style. It also felt like could have been a situation where the director met with the actors and said, okay, well, let's work through these scenes and then we're going to improvise on the day or whatever. But that's not what, obviously, that's not what happens here. But but this movie does feature like like local uh, local actors that are, you know, yeah. of, from this area and, and some of them are actually recovering addicts. Recovering addicts. And it does certainly add to the authenticity of this whole thing. Well, and yeah, I mean, we got, I guess we should run down what the plot of this movie yeah. is. Um, as you 
might be able to tell from the title, my name is Joe. So it's about a guy who is a an alcoholic mm-hmm. or a recovering alcoholic, at least. Uh, we learned that he um, has been recovering for about 10 months, mm-hmm. 10 months without a drink, which is a perfect amount of time in a movie to tell you we're not out of the clear. No. Like, don't, like, it's always in the back here. I don't know about you, but I'm watching this yeah. movie and it's always in the back of my head. Like, I'm waiting for that shoe to drop. Sure. And and that's that's what I, I call the Unforgiven moment uh, where you wait for. Because there's that similar moment in Unforgiven where Clint Eastwood's character, you know, he, he does hasn't had a drink in a long time and he's gotten away from his bad life. And then at the end of the movie, when everything starts breaking bad and shit's going down, he fucking cracks open that bottle and goes fucking crazy. Um, and, it's all, and it's a trope that you expect in any movie that deals with addiction to some extent that that oh this guy was a recovering alcoholic he's got his life on track and it's like okay so what's the moment that he's going to take a drink because it's probably going to happen and i feel like there was a movie we watched where somebody was a recovering addict and they didn't go that route which surprised us but i don't remember which one it was i'm not sure <laughs> um but yeah so this movie he it's like you said it's a slice of life he's yeah. he's going through life um he ends up uh, he he's got this uh this guy liam who he, like you said he's basically like a mentor too he mm-hmm. coaches um like a local uh, like football, a football team yeah like a which local... i wonder is also of like like underprivileged kids and recovering addicts and things i think maybe i think maybe yeah. that's what i thought um and he's also he's all he meets and falls for a, a young social worker yeah. Um, hospital, and, or what do they call her? A hospital. A hospital they call her a health worker, I think. A, uh, there's something like that. Yeah. She basically is sort of a public health nurse, the equivalent of. To some she extent. does a lot of stuff, honestly, yeah. in this movie. Every time she showed up, like when she was teaching that class, I was like, oh, she does that too. Okay. Uh, but he falls for, they fall for each other. Yeah. And the movie is basically just that while dealing with, you know, Liam and his, his whole story is even darker because yeah. he, he, uh, he has a, he's a former addict. Yes. His girlfriend is an addict uh, to heroin mm-hmm. last week's movie. Cool. Um, they also have a baby. Thankfully, it doesn't go the way of train spotting for that baby. Say, but the, the, the heroin doesn't look nearly as fun in this movie. <laughs> no, you, if anybody watched this movie and said this movie was glorifying drugs, like you don't have a leg to stand no, on. No, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it's like this movie is kind of just detailing Joe and what he's going through, but it all dovetails ultimately. The ultimate drama of this movie, or the ultimate conflict, is that Liam owes money to a gangster that Liam or that um, Joe used to run with, and uh, Joe wants to help him out, and that fucks up his relationship with uh, Sarah. Yeah, exactly, and and. And, and, like, as soon as, yeah, we get that meeting or whatever with McGowan, the, the crime lord, um, it just kind of keeps snowballing from there. Like, there's no levity up of the, after that point. But what I do kind of appreciate, just right off the bat here, because this is a slice of life movie. This isn't, like, a gangster film. Nope. This isn't a crime movie, really. No, not really. Um, what I like is that when, when we ultimately get the moment in this movie, because he agrees to do this job um, for you know, for McGowan to get Liam out of the hole of however much money he owes. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see really that job. Like we kind of see him show up and get in a car like he's supposed to, but we don't see like where he goes. We don't see him driving. We don't see the, any tension when he arrives and the guys are standing there. Um, and the, and, and the jobs themselves are pretty basic too. And I was like, Oh, they're keeping this like real simple because the movie's not about that. Like you don't, you don't need to see that. We don't need like, to have this like white knuckle tension from no. seeing him deliver a bunch of drugs. No, we, we, we get what's going on. Yeah. He does it very well. He goes up, he goes to a phone booth. He goes, he gets a set of keys. He gets into a car after fighting with the alarm and then drives it somewhere. Like we, we know what's going on because Ken Loach is a competent filmmaker. Hot take. Doesn't need to lay it out for us. He doesn't need to have a George Lucas moment of uh, of uh, fucking um, 
dude in the phone booth for like 10 straight minutes while it's explained to him, okay, you're going to pick the car up, you're going to take the keys, you're going to start the engine, you're going to drive down the road, you're going to go for 500 miles, and you're going to leave it at a gas station. Okay. Um, why don't we uh, Why don't we take a listen to our first clip here? Um, because we're going to talk about the relationship, obviously, between Joe and the social worker, Sarah. So why don't we hear a little bit of their meet cute um, at the beginning? So is it, uh, I think they have like a skirmish in the road, right? She like cuts them off accidentally or something. Yeah, at one point, what is he the line? He says, uh, oh, look, fellas, that's the lady that almost killed us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when he goes out and goes to talk to her, and again, they're and they're also in front of Liam's house because she's also on, their, on her way there to talk with Liam and Sabine about their baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have this whole thing, but here. Hey, you want a hand there? Thanks a lot. Tell me, darling, did you uh, lose a dog back there? What dog? Your guide dog. Don't need a guide dog, thank no, you very much. I think much. you need the white stick in the radar. Do you know you nearly wasted 110 million pounds worth of talent there? Hey, you're right, I need a guide dog. Right, come on, move it, you. Look, just stay where you are. Move it, Liam, before you go. Don't you dare, Liam. Listen, so do you want to go up the stairs that's been in? Stay upstairs. Is that right? Can I do a favour, Dan? Because you take me, Scott, up to his map, please. Yeah, but I'm going to see Liam as well. What? I've got to see Liam as well. Liam, move, he's in the van. He's not going anywhere. He's not going Listen, anywhere. He's got really Look, I've got Liam to see Liam and Sabine with Listen, Scott. Okay. Look, we have to make an appointment to see you, right? Liam. Right. So, so why don't why don't you just make an appointment to see us? I'm a health visitor. Yeah. Oh really? I thought you were a driving instructor. <laughs> Very funny. No, listen, listen, listen. Seriously, seriously, it's a really important game today. They're talking about throwing us out of the league. Do you know what I mean? It's that serious. No, that's serious. Liam. Aye, is that serious? Jesus, man. Look, I don't want you to take this too personal, but sometimes I think you people just think the sun shines out your arse. I know it's just football, but it's important to us. Do you know what I mean? Now, Liam, Liam, I want you to make an appointment with her, right? Aye. No, I mean it, you stick to it, OK? No, no, no. Yeah? OK, I don't want you messing this lassie about. Don't call me a lassie. Well, excuse me, Mrs Magoo. Right, see you later, Scott. See you. So we get a, a real dose of uh, his personality right there. Which is yeah. Just kind of, well, the, the sort of charming, not asshole, but like very confident, or at least appears that way, very confident, very, yeah. like, kind of, but, but gets his way. <laughs> right, and he's the kind of charming that... Well, kind of works a lot more than it usually does because I know there's a lot of movies I watch, especially when you watch like a like a, not an older movie but like 2000s or even 90s. Um, you watch it today and you're like, oh, this movie thinks this guy's charming and he's really just an asshole. He's just a total asshole. And but there, there, there's not a real mean bone in his body in this situation. Like he's not he's not being cruel. He's not being mean. Like when he when he says that that line about like, yeah, look, look, I know it's only football, but it is important to us. Mm. Like he's being genuine there. Yeah, and and the, you know, kind of, and I think that's what plants the seed in her head is that she gets the sense that this guy's a genuine dude. Right, right, yeah, no, and I think that's a really um, like effective way to establish that there's going to be some kind of connection because I, I can I can feel it in that scene. It feels genuine. Yeah. It feels real. Just like this whole movie has a very genuine feel to it, um, a very dark genuine feel to it. But regardless, yeah. Um, <laughs> And there's also this, like, um, you mentioned Mike Lee and Life is Sweet, but it also kind of reminds me a little bit of Robert Altman. Mm. Not in the sense that, I mean, obviously his movies, you know, there's multiple characters and everything, but I'm just talking about the dialogue at times is, like, overlapping, yeah. kind of very naturalistic. Yes, absolutely. Even in that opening monologue that we heard earlier, I mean, they a, a standard film would just make that scene him talking and you don't really hear anything else in the background. Mm. But you hear, like, a person cough. You hear, like, a sniff. 
you hear like shifting in the seats. Yeah. Like it's it just it feels it feels like dirty. <laughs> and it, it doesn't feel like a monologue. It feels like a guy telling his story. Like that's what yeah. it is. It's it's the the you know it, it sounds maybe a little more polished just because it's his alcohol story and he probably tells it at, at AA meetings and he's probably you know workshopped it over the years. Um, <laughs> just studying in the mirror like fucking Travis Bickle. Yeah, exactly. But it still sounds you know it still sounds like genuine and and all the respect to the actor on this one. Uh, yeah, I would say that's a good word actually to describe him. I think he is a genuine person, yeah. even though he lies. That's but true. His his lying is not. Uh, out of simple self-interest. It's uh, only partially out of self-interest. His lying is complicated. Yes. Very complicated. Um, he also kind of... Another thing I'm going to mention, or another reference, something that reminds me of, is uh, the idea that we talked about in The Railway Children, mm. where Mr. Cribbins and the, the children's mother were very prideful. Did I hear a train whistle? I think somebody wants to talk. No, go away. Away. <laughs> we're not talking about trains. Go away. <laughs> oh God! Sorry, sorry. You continue. What were you saying? Yeah, it just reminds me of uh, Cribbins and the mother from Railway Children because they were very prideful about their about their their station in life. They didn't mm-hmm. want to get like uh, handouts because at one point I think uh, Sarah tries to give him money to just take a cab home, and he's like, "No, no, no, but no, let's- no." He's kind of, you know, and to be fair, he is fucking over the welfare system when he does this, but he's doing some some under the table work for Sarah, uh, where he and Shanks are going to wallpaper her room for her. You know, a nice thing to do. But the problem is. But the problem is, is that uh, there apparently is a very zealous uh, uh, inspector for the government who is like literally with a fucking telephoto lens outside this house taking pictures of them working. Um, I actually wrote down. Do they spy on welfare recipients like this in in in? The UK? That's a good question because when I when I saw this, it, it reminded me of like in the states, this happens with insurance companies where if somebody's uh, if they think somebody's committing uh, insurance fraud, which may just be anybody who uh, uh, makes an insurance claim like an injury or something, mm-hmm. they will spy on them to s- try to catch them doing something they're not supposed to do, so they don't have to pay their insurance claim. I, it's crazy to me that the government would do that there, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. But also, anybody, any of our listeners out there in jolly old England or yeah. UK or wherever you are. Do they do that? Yeah. Is that, I mean, I suppose if there was somebody they thought, but like, wow. Yeah. Because I mean, and that's also the first time we see Joe get angry. Yeah. And he, and you know what's crazy is so, so we see the scene of Joe getting angry. By the way, the wallpaper thing that I thought was funny is that neither of them know how to yeah. wallpaper. <laughs> um, but he says like, oh, Shanks is an expert. There oh, he yeah. is in the business. They both just totally talk him up and it's like, they're just like, oh, they're just trying to grift her out of her money. Like, uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, he's, uh, he goes up to the, you know, the guy that's taking these photos or whatever and just starts painting the, the truck tells him to like, get out and get out. And we don't know what he's going to do. Right. Painting the van all over. And then. So in that in that in that context, I think that's a funny scene. We're like, oh, oh he's losing it a little bit. It is funny, but it also uh, shows in this very grounded movie. It shows a, an incredible overreaction on his part uh, to this. Now I get it; this thing makes you mad, but I don't know that it justifies uh, destroying this guy's car. <laughs> no, um, I think the tone of it though is handled kind of light. Yes, absolutely. Because uh, we don't want to. We, we, I mean, Ken Loach is a good filmmaker. He doesn't want us to make us dislike Joe early on. We got to have this scene with a light tone, so it's like we get why he's mad, and we're with there with him. So then, so then, my point here though is that it's kind of a lighter tone. But then later on in the film, we have a real turning point, and I do kind of want to play some of this conversation. Yeah. Um, so I mean, Sarah point blank asks him, uh, "What made you stop drinking?" 
And he, uh, like, you know, he doesn't want to really say it at first. That's got to be a tough question for any person yeah. who is recovering. Like, why, oh, what, what was your absolute worst fucking moment in your life? Can you tell me what that was? Well, exactly. That's, yeah, that's like asking someone, why did you hit rock bottom? What was the yeah. most depressing thing yeah. that's happened to <laughs> yeah. you? Like, that's a rough question. Yeah. Um, but he tells this story, and uh, we'll just listen to a little bit. Anyway, we used to have these really terrible arguments. I mean, always really fierce. We used to tear each other apart. It was never physical. Ever. Anyway, one day we went to Largs. Had a great day. Weather was really good. Walked along the beach, being stupid, you know. And of course, I had a drink. I'd been a lot drunker. On the bus on the way back, I had a kip. And I don't know, maybe that's where it started. Because when I woke up, by the time we were walking up the close in the shithole where we stayed, this cloud had just descended. Really, really dark. And suddenly I hated her. And I hated me. And I hated that shithole. So I tried opening the door, putting the key, key in the lock. And I stupid, I mean, it was so stupid. The key, it wouldn't go in. I did go in the day open. It was the lock. I had many fix and I never got around it. And she laughed. She found this really funny. Which is it probably was. And the next thing I knew her head was up against the wall. And I was punching her. And I was kicking her. I feel like I just brought the whole room down. Um, <laughs> well, that's some heavy shit, man. That is some heavy shit. So yeah, he, uh, you know, he assaulted his girlfriend at the yeah. time. Um, what I think is an interesting detail there is that you know he says, "I remember every punch, every kick." Leading up to that, he also remembers everything that happened on that day, mm. like every single little detail. He well, remembers. I mean, he's probably gone over it in his head a million billion times at this point. Uh. This is a dangerous scene for a movie to do with mm. a main character, I think. Yeah. Right? Well, because you are revealing something pretty horrifying about their character. And uh, this is a guy. This is the guy we're following. Yeah. Um, this could have fell on its face with the wrong performance, the uh, just, you know, slightly altered writing. Well, that's the thing, that they've built him up as a sympathetic enough character that we can take this and not immediately think of him as a villain. Like, it's clear he did a fucking terrible thing, but it's clear that he also, you know, is dealing with the consequences of it uh, every day and is trying to be better about it, is trying to be a better person. Yeah, and I mean, from that point on... The movie is a little darker, mm. I, and that this is another. This is a thing that reminded me of last week's movie when we talked about train spotting. Mm. I mean, I don't know which moment's darker. I'm not going to argue that, <laughs> but there, you know, the ba- moment with the baby in train spotting, yeah. of course, and then the moment here. It's a complete turning point for the tone. Mm. More so last week 
because the tone is was very bright and chipper and everything. This one, you know, it's a little, little not not quite so much, but yeah. But it is a, a less dark than it gets after this scene. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think, yeah, from this point forward, it's a, yeah. Both these movies to go into a downslide as far as like darkness. Uh, yeah. Although I would say this movie is far darker though. Yeah, because his train spotting ends on a little bit of a hopeful note. Uh, well, for, we'll see. Well, exactly for uh, for Mark, but not as much at the end of this one. Hmm. So we talked about how one of the main plots of this is with Liam. So Liam owes 500 pounds to this McGowan guy. Who David Heyman, by the way, is terrifying. Yeah. He doesn't do much. He doesn't have to do much, but just... That's the thing. And he's terrifying because he's not like an over-the-top cartoon character. He's just... He's he's very casual, calm. And that's the thing is that this is his business. Mm -hmm. This is what he does every day. It reminds me of uh, how, how effective Michael Caine's villain was in Mona Lisa. Just that very cool, like kind of laid back or villain. Uh, Sam Jackson in Kingsman. Yeah, very laid, laid back. back. Yeah, very laid Not back. Not over the top at all. <laughs> Just cool, calm, and collected. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's my whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, David Heyman's only in like I don't know three scenes maybe, and yeah, he's he's really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, you were saying. <laughs> yeah, so Liam owes five hundred pounds to this McGowan guy, and uh, his wife Sabine owes, or wife girlfriend, I guess, baby mama owes fifteen hundred pounds, and it turns out that both of them had been dealing for him but being heroin addicts uh it's hard to give heroin addicts drugs to deal because they may very well just end up doing them and that's what happened and they are now in the hole and they owe these people money or there's going to be consequences at least as far as either sabine is going to end up on the streets prostituting herself which seems to be the plan or uh they're just straight up going to break uh liam's legs yeah which uh is going to be hard for a guy who likes to play soccer (laughs) football i think you mean i'm going to call it soccer just to piss off any british listeners Thanks. <laughs> now, hey, we 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 I hey, we played that at school because the thing about soccer is that it's really easy to play. All you need is a ball and then some coats to be the goals. But it's soccer. <laughs> All Take right, a stand. I'm Jason, planting the flag. J- oh God, Jason, put the put that fucking mega hat down. Let's <laughs> make soccer a sport again. Okay. This is, does sound like something a southern person would say. They're tra- trying to pronounce Mississippi and they're drunk Ooh. off their ass. Mississippi! Ah, I'm cold as hell for I recognize Mississippi. So yes, that is what happens. Um, so this is the and this is the point of the movie where you're like, okay, there's this conflict where um, Joe. Probably shouldn't get involved. No. As bad as this sounds, he probably shouldn't get involved should. at the level that he's getting involved. But, because there's a thing here where you're like, okay, yeah. he's doing this for Liam, but ultimately it also hurts him. It does. Because Joe has separated himself from this old lifestyle, from this crime-connected lifestyle. Yeah, his mm-hmm. only his only buddy now is really Shanks. Yeah, that's right. They, they, and they go way back. They've had their, both had their own issues. You know, He's separated himself from this lifestyle, but his... Clearly, his love and regard for Liam, who is, hey, there's like a mentor-mentee relationship, kind of a father-son relationship between the two of them, I think. Um, He feels enough love for this kid that he wants to help him out. And if that means going back in the orbit of that life, he's willing to do it. And Mm -hmm. so he does. He goes to this McGowan guy and he's like, look, I want to help the kid out. I'll do a job for you and we'll get this settled up. And so he's like, okay. And that's when he gives him the job to go pick up the car, drive the drugs, it's implied. It's never explicitly said, but we assume that's what's happening. Um, drives and drops off the drugs and then comes back. And that's when um, I think Sarah starts to get suspicious. Right. Um, 
Do you want to hear that, or do you want to hear a little bit of McGowan first? Uh, yeah, let's hear a bit of McGowan first. Okay. McGowan! Oh, oh, fucking touch him. Fucking touch him. Touch that boy, and I'll fucking kill you, man. Joe, Joe, behave yourself. Come on. Easy. Let him go, guys. Let him go. Come here. Come on, it's all right. Now listen, I can't be seen in Lowe's face. I'd be suicide. I saw it, I said, Joe. I'm going to have you, McGowan. All right. Don't be a big daft boy, pal. I'd have you first, and you know that. I've got fuck all to lose. Yeah? Over a nice wee nurse you go. No, I could do something with her. You touch her, and I will stab you. Hey, just try to find a way out. Why don't you do a job for us? I'll do fuck all for you. All right. We job, pay half a boy's debt. Some unreasonable wine, two trips up north. All right. I know I'll leave him there. Do you really think I came up with Clyde in a fucking banana boat, son? Well, you got to do is pick up the stuff, bring it down, drop it, and that's it, cinch. What'd you say? That easy? Right. Well, how come your pricks aren't doing it for you then? No. I want you to do it. Why me? I like the idea. For all time's sake. Well, for all time's sake, go take a flying fuck to yourself. Take care of yourself. Let's do it. So that's lovely and everything, but I would just want to mention, you pointed out in the clip that the actor in this scene uh, that plays Joe is 39 years old. And it says, yeah. he says at one point, I'm 37 going on 38. I am 37 years old. And now I'm not going to pretend like I'm some uh, waifish twink or anything, but I don't think, I don't think I look as old as that guy. Like he looks like, in, that's the thing. He looks like he's lived a life. He looks like he's lived a rough existence. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> That sounds really mean considering Peter Mullen is actually 39 in this movie. But I wonder if he also, like, aged himself up a little bit. Maybe. 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 But, like, his hair is gray and he's balding. Now, certainly, I'm bald and I've got some gray in my hair. You know what I'm going to say? Trainspotting was two years before this. I don't remember him looking that old in that movie. And, by the way, when I say balding, I mean I am bald because I shaved my head because fuck that shit. Jason, strong stances this week. Yes. Hair, Hair, I'm against it. Unless it's uh, downstairs, then it's and, cool. And, fo- <laughs> and football is soccer, goddammit. That's right. <laughs> but yes, McGowan, great. Just just so, so like, just like, oh, calm down, calm down. Let him go, guys. It's okay. It's all right. Come over here. Let's talk. Come that's on. when, you, that's when you, you know a character has power. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be a cartoon character. He doesn't have to be intimidating because his position speaks for itself. Like how often did Al Capone have to go and kill people himself? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if he did. Uh, well, no, he definitely did. <laughs> he definitely had people killed. But like, how many times do you think he had to actually do it versus how many times he just had other people do it for him? Better question is how many times did he want to do it? By the way, if you You saw see- that Tom Hardy movie, you tell me. Well, n- listen, I got news for you. That movie is mostly just about Al Capone shitting his pants. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's about his, his last few years of life. So mm-hmm. it's not exactly the most uh, gangstery movie. Yeah. So after he, did, he does take this job, he does it twice, I believe. Yeah. Well, you um, know, he's supposed to do it twice. He does do it, it twice. once. does it once, and then he goes... Um, actually, he doesn't go up to Sarah. What happens is uh, Sarah is speaking with Sabine. Yes. And Sabine lets it slip that Joe went to McGowan to... Is going to pay off his debts or, or something. Or did pay off. Joe, pay Joe off. paid it off, I yeah. think is what she says. And then she's like, wait, what? Joe and Liam, paid it off? Liam tries to, you know, no, 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 it's nothing, it's nothing. Are you lying to me? No, I'm a good Catholic boy. Why would yeah. I lie? <laughs> but what it is, is Liam and, and, and I think with Liam and Joe, what this is, is this is straight bro code stuff. This is like, oh, yeah. this is like, yeah, we're, we're going to take care of this. We're not going to tell the ladies about this, although Sabine knows. We're not going to tell Sarah about this. She doesn't need to know. She's a, <laughs> she, she's such a fine prim lady. We don't want to drag her into this shit. Well, I think Joe knows what will happen if yeah. she knows, which we find out. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, she gets suspicious and she goes to Joe's house. Uh, seemingly everything's good. And then Liam shows up not knowing Sarah's there and kind of spills the beans a little bit. This scene hit really hard with me because when I was uh, uh, much younger, I was at home one time and the phone rang and I picked up the phone and my mom also picked up the phone at the same time and my friend Shane was on the other end and he goes, yeah, so I can't get any acid for tonight. And my mom heard that and then I had a very uncomfortable conversation. (laughs) No, 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 I I didn't want any. He just told me that he couldn't get any. Yeah, no, he just wanted to keep me appraised of his situation. (laughs) Um, yeah, so he accidentally does that. And then they have this, oh, this is the most dramatic moment maybe of the movie is, uh, Sarah and Joe having this conversation. And I want to play some of it because the, the last line of it really stings. Just remember that earlier clip we played of Joe describing um, what led him to stop drinking. Sure. But also, I just want to point out, too, remember earlier in the movie, we had a similar, not similar, but like an also uncomfortable thing where Joe bought her some gifts. He bought her some earrings and then he bought her and then he gives her a ring. Yeah. And he doesn't really understand. Right. Because he gets her the ring and she's obviously kind of mortified because they've been going, you know, been dating for like a month. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he gets very angry and throws into the water. Yeah. And then he tells her, like, oh, it's just a present. It's just a present. It's like, does he, does, is that just, like, him trying to come up with a defense, or yeah. does he not know? Yeah, that's the question. Is does he Did he literally not, did not enter into his head the idea of giving her a ring would be something that would be seen as more than just a gift? Or is that, is that his, I like, mean, fallback? Which, given, given that, remember when he talked about, um, uh, that he said uh, after he beat up his uh, girlfriend that he blacked out, He's clearly capable of coming up with defenses for a given situation, so that certainly is possible. But yeah, they had an uncomfortable moment there, but then they kind of reconciled after that. But then we have this further uncomfortable moment, Brendan. Yes. So let's, yeah, let's take a listen to this. I got to say, if I'd done a wee job for him, then he'd pay off Liam's debts. What job? I had to pick up a car. Next week, I pick up another car, and then that is it. It's over. Two thousand pounds worth of debt for you to pick up two cars. Huh? What was in the car? What was in the car, Joe? Don't know. You're lying. I don't know. You're lying. What do you think was in the fucking car? Huh? They were going to break his fucking legs. Look, you wanted to know, so now you know, right? I mean, I'm really sorry, but we all don't live in this nice, tidy wee world of yours. You know, some of us can't go to the police. Some of us can't go to the bank for a loan. Some of us can't just move house and fuck off out of here. Some of us don't have a choice. I didn't have a fucking choice. But I don't want him splitting us up. I don't want him poisoning us. You're a drug dealer! I'm not a fucking drug dealer. Transporting drugs? Well, what would you call that? What would you have done? Listen, I have seen babies rattling, sent up to intensive care with expected brain damage. Have you ever seen a 14-year-old child choking his own vomit to death with his mother crying on him? I've only done it the once. Where did you get where did you get the money for the earrings in the ring? Where did you get the money for the earrings in the ring? I go and give me five hundred pounds for myself. Never, I wish this had never happened. Oh, oh, you don't fucking stop me. Get away! Get away! Get the fucking way! I'm not letting you go, okay? Get my way! No, no, 
gonna hit me too, Joe? Jesus God. Yeah, so before we touch on that last line, um, I want to talk about just before that scene starts, mm. when before she finds out like that he you know, that what's going on, she says, If you're if you're lying to me, I'm gonna break something. Yeah. And I mean she physically does kick his window, but that's obviously, you know, I'm gonna break your heart. Yeah. If you lie to me, like we're done. But then Liam shows up and she gets the reveal and she does literally like pick something up and smash it. <laughs> well that's what I mean. Like she kicks in the window yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I think that's yeah. also meant to be a line like that. Um, and the fact that she pulls out that fucking poison knife at the end and is like, you know, yeah. what are you going to do? you going to hit me, Joe? Referencing his story. It's, like, the, he, and, and that's that's fucked because, like, he opened up the very bottom of his heart to her and told her that story. And that's, I mean, I get she's mad and, I, and maybe she's right to be so, but that is yeah. a fucking dark move. It's a loaded thing to yeah. say, um, but I feel like it gets used on both sides many oh, times. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, just basically like weaponizing his, uh, his grief, yeah. um, but, or but, his trauma, I guess, or whatever. Absolutely. But what's also interesting in that scene too, is that we hear some, like, what I have to imagine is Ken Loach speaking through the character when he's talking about like, you know, some people don't have a choice. People can't just, people here, we can't just call the police. We can't just, you know, go to the bank to get a loan. Like, like we don't have a fucking choice in this matter. And that's the thing. That's the class difference. The Joe's coming from the lower class where they have to deal with this shit the way they, that they can. They don't have the same options as her, who is clearly a more middle class lady and, and does have the options of, you know, calling the police and going to a bank. Uh, that they can take advantage of those things where those poor people can't. And that's a timeless thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> that will never end. Still happening to this yeah. day. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, actually, it's funny you mention that because like, there's not a lot of a whole lot of background information about this movie. But one of the things that Ken Loach does get accused of sometimes is, um, and I mean, I mean, not to say like people hate his movies because certainly not. He's a critically acclaimed filmmaker and everything. But a lot of people, uh, some critics will say that sometimes the characters sound like they're just Ken Loach at some point saying stuff like this. But I get the feeling in this movie that that would be Joe. Yeah. Like that that's how Joe would feel. Yeah, no, Joe's Joe's not an idiot. Joe yeah. understands like what's going on. Yeah, because I, I I mean I hear a lot of like um like I I read some of the some of the critics saying like, you know, it, it seems like Ken Loach has a specific point of view and sometimes his characters just sound like they're espousing that point of view. Look, if Kevin Smith can can write through his characters about Superman blowing a fucking load out the back of Lois Lane's body uh, then Ken Loach can uh, have some commentary on the British welfare system and uh, how it treats its poor people. Sure, but I think the criticism though is to, is is that it's like to the detriment. Like it doesn't actually sound like the character. Well, I can't speak for that. I can't speak for any other movie besides Kess, and I can uh, say it in pretty genuine in, Kess. in this movie. It all seems pretty genuine and yeah. it feels like the characters. Like the, again, Joe. This is Joe. This is not Ken Loach just through Joe. It's clearly Ken Loach, but it's also it is Joe. For me, this was also the first scene where I said, oh, here it comes. It's the moment where he goes home and cracks open a bottle. That fucking the unforgiven moment, man. Clint Eastwood opening that bottle. And that is a rough scene. That is rough to see anybody oh, no, have no. to do that. It, it doesn't happen here. No. But I'm just saying this is where I thought it was going to happen. Well, this is clearly what sets that in motion. Yes. Because what, yeah. what happens first? Oh, well, he goes to uh, Liam's. He goes and finds well, Liam. Well, because he is... I think he's just seeing red right now, and he's like, I need to get back with Sarah. I need to fix this. This is the only thing I need right now. Because mm. the only thing that's really good in his life at the moment. So he goes right, to Liam. he goes to see Liam, and then he sees McGowan. Well, yeah, he goes to see Liam and gives him all this money, and he's like, get out of town. Just yeah. leave. And he's not really grasping the big picture here, because 
As it's we find it's literally later, what he just said about like some people can't just up and fucking leave. And then right. he goes and gives him a bunch of money and says, get out of here. And then he's going against what he said because yeah. it's going to make everything else better. But it's, it, he doesn't understand, number one, it's too late. Yeah. He's already committed the act. He's already lied. He's already, you know, done whatever. Um, and number two, yeah, like you said, he said, he proved his own point wrong. People can't just pick up and leave. And Liam even says that later. Like, what do you want me to do? I'll go to yeah. England and then I'll be like dealing junk again yeah like that's what's gonna happen but yeah because his only thing right now is he's desperate to be back with sarah and i don't think like i just i don't think this relationship would end up working at all just because of all these like extra that's the thing external things him staying close to this world is not going to be not it's not going to jive with with sarah and the key thing is that he goes back to see Sarah. Hmm. And, you know, Maggie is there. We can talk about Maggie, but she's kind of like the fun best friend. Like yeah, Maggie. She, she works at the clinic and she's the receptionist. She has to deal with all the people and tell, sir, you're just going to have to sit down and wait. Sabine, stop smoking, stop yeah. smoking, stop smoking. We didn't even talk about that scene. But, yeah. Uh, but, well, I just want to, so I just want to say, like, he goes to see Sarah later and he, um, he goes up to her and, and, you know, he says like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not doing the second job. I'm not doing it. And if I had known that you would have left me, I never would have done this. And that's the problem. That he didn't know. That he didn't get that. That he didn't. Yeah. That he's not connected. It's not the fact that he's saying like, oh, I know it's wrong and I shouldn't have done it. It's just, if I had known that you would have left me, then I wouldn't have done it. And that's not really grasping yeah, that's, the situation. Yeah, beside the point. It's more like you shouldn't do it just because. Like, and and that's her reaction. And you could tell in her reaction, she's kind of like, I can't be with you. Well, and, and you have to understand, too. Like, I, I, this is a guy who probably would have been with women that were also in that scene or, or around yeah. that. Like, it wasn't a question for them. And now he's with someone who is so far removed from that. That is living a so-called legitimate life, and he's having trouble jiving with that. Which is it's so much the problem for people that have been involved in in crime and stuff, and do the people that do want to make a go of it is so goddamn hard. They have so much to overcome in that trying to go legit after being a criminal and mm-hmm. and trying to get out of old habits and 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 you know and make it. it, it it's tough, and I, I I respect anybody that can do it. Oh, well, we all can't be Alex DeLarge just no. kicking the habit cold turkey. I was cured. I was cured. All right. <laughs> Did you want to? You, you mentioned the scene earlier with Sabine smoking. Oh, yeah, Did we'll you mention, want to mention that. that too. Yeah, we'll mention that okay. too. Sabine, yeah. So the first introduction, well, we see Sabine earlier in the movie, but uh, the first like real introduction to her we get is uh, when she's at the clinic waiting to see the doctor and she just lights up a cigarette. Now, I get this movie was shot in 1998, but I feel like even in 1998, it probably wasn't cool to smoke in a fucking hospital. Oh, no. She tells, like, well, I mean, <laughs> Maggie, the assistant, is yeah. telling her to put it out. Yeah, but I, it's like, it's like she's like, tells her to put it out, tells her to put it out, and eventually becomes a big deal. I feel like now that there'd be like a security guard that would just come up and be like all right you got to go outside yeah <laughs> you can't do that you you would get a literal fine it's an expensive fine it's like three grand or something here if you fucking smoke inside well and she steals a prescription pad too yeah well that's it the bigger thing yeah <laughs> clearly trying to get some script man wanting to get them opes mm-hmm. they call them opes we, the we even have a scene of her later uh doing heroin which joe helps her yes I mean, he didn't have to grab that fucking rubber tubing. Yeah, but I think it's 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 one of those situations where it's like you just want to help, even if it's something bad. It's in the same way that a a, a you know the parents of a drug addict might give them money and they know that they're going to spend them on heroin, but you also don't want to see them in heroin withdrawal. So it's sort of or steal it to get yeah, the money. or steal it from someone yeah. like like it, it's like he's like, well, I may as well give her a hand so she can do it right, so she doesn't fuck up and end up dead because that's she, true. You know, stab I mean, herself that, in the wrong yeah. place. I mean, that's I guess that's the same idea as the needle exchange, right? Yeah. 
Like exactly. they're not they're it's, not it's, there to to be like, hey guys, if you want to do heroin, come yeah. on down. No, but like, exactly. it's hey, we're going to at least make sure you don't get AIDS. Yeah, it's 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 very much a harm reduction strategy. Yeah, uh, which I certainly support. Uh, so yeah, so Joe um, even goes to McGowan and tells him he's not doing it. And McGowan's like, "What are you talking about? Of course you're doing the job. Mm. Just do the fucking job." And he fucking goes nuts. He smashes uh, McGowan in the face, kicks him. He hits another guy with like a pool cue. And this is what happens, Larry, when you fuck a stranger in the ass. All right, John. <laughs> but then, yeah, he basically does that. He, he does similar to John Goodman in that movie. Just fucking goes nuts on the car. He doesn't say that uh, line, but yeah. he smashes the shit out of this guy's car. Oh, he and you know at this point that it's it's done. It's fucking like... Something, he, something bad is going to happen. He snapped. Uh, he went over the top. He destroyed this guy's car. There's no way he's making it out of the day alive, it seems to me. Uh, oh, yeah. I thought, I thought this... Uh, like, the whole time I'm watching him, he's kind of a tragic Shakespearean figure, mm-hmm. right? And the whole time I'm watching, I'm like... Okay, I kind of see this arc, and then as we get to this point, I'm like, okay, this is when he gets killed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he runs home. Well, this, no, because he runs to the liquor store first. Runs to the liquor store, yes. <laughs> um, and then of course, this is the moment where he relapses. Um, and then Liam shows up, having of course not run off because yeah. he, where would he go yeah. with 300 pounds? Like, exactly. You know, for you can't just get a place. Um, and he, uh, and you know, you have this scene and this is actually a really scary scene because Joe has relapsed hard. This is, this is very real to me. Yes. Um, not to get too personal, Mm. but my, my real father was an alcoholic Mm. and this is a pretty realistic scene, um, of a person that's shouldn't be drinking. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but let's listen to Joe. Again, remember, Liam is like, he's like his mentor, right? He's mm. like Liam's mentor. And this is Joe just drunk out of his mind, um, talking as, the, as, they're, as they're preparing for uh, McGowan's men to come at the apartment. Like, mm. they're coming towards ready to kill them. No, listen, I thought about fucking off myself, right? useless. I'm not fucking useless. Listen to me then. If I'd have fucked off myself, I wouldn't have seen the rain. I'd have been back on the... I gave you that fucking money. There wasn't any fucking money. I gave you that fucking money. I'd end up doing fucking London myself. Back the junk. I can't handle that again, Joe. That's what it is. I've just fucking cracked it. That's what it is. That's what it is, Liam. You're fucking dumb. Joe, I know you don't mean that, right? I hate your scumbag whore fucking life. Joe, fuck off, I man. I hate your scabby fucking way. Joe, don't say anything else. I'd I know it's a drink, Tom. I would shoot the fucking lot of you. I would shoot the fucking lot of you. Take you outside, I'd get a gun, and I'd put a bullet through you, you useless fucking he's your scum. What could I do? Joe, what could I do? I'm not I'd leave it and fucking go. You fucking excuses. It's no excuses, Joe, fuck's sake. Excuses I'm telling you the truth. For everything, man. All you live off as a fucking excuse. Joe. You are a fucking excuse. You tell me what I can do. Tell me what you do, Joe, and I'll do it. Come on, tell me. They'd be better off with us. She fucking coped when I was in the jail. So you're fucking right. I shouldn't have thought about me. That's that's what I was doing, thinking about me. Yeah, so <laughs> you mentioned while we were watching it, a little t- t- a little bit triggering. But yeah, well, it, and, and as I was saying, it, it's like 
it's how slow and precise he's talking because he's drunk and he's trying not to, you know, he's trying to make sure that what he's saying is heard and he's just slowly being like, you fucking piece of shit. Fuck you. Yeah, I hate you. I, mean, I hate your scum. And like, it's just. Oh. I mean, he says, I, I want to shoot you yeah. all in the face. Yeah. You, Sabine, and the baby. Mm. Like, it's intense. It's. It's and it's so like like you, you mentioned it's like methodical yeah right like he's thinking out every single word is like mm-hmm. being cooked up like before it comes out there is nothing in him at that moment but just pure fucking hate just flowing through him he's embraced the dark side at this point yeah I mean obviously he is an angry drunk mm-hmm. I mean I'll, I I think a lot to do with you know where he is in his life and mm-hmm. what the kind of situation is around him is that it would make him this very angry drunk because he's probably got a lot of pent-up emotions. Well, I mean, that's the thing about being drunk is that it, it, it amplifies whatever emotion you're feeling. And if you're in a shitty place, uh, those that shitty place is going to be amplified, absolutely. Well, exactly. And, like, if I might... You know, there are people that, like, you know, I've had moments where I'm just like, I fucking hate you right now. Mm. Um, and if I was drunk, I would just tell them that. But it doesn't mean I hate them. You know <laughs> no. what I mean? Or Not if I was drunk, but if I was drunk yeah. like Joe yeah. is in this movie, I would just tell them. But, like, that's not necessarily how I but feel. But I, I would hope that if I was that drunk and I didn't like someone, I wouldn't be quite as mean and cruel as he was. Right? I'd just be like, I fucking don't like your face, bud. No, because I don't think you have enough of the torment that yeah. he has around him to be that kind of drunk person. Yeah, and I don't think he actually believes that. I don't think he no, means of course that. Not. He clearly loves this kid because he was willing to go to the bat for him. You know, go to bat for him on this. But, man, if you thought that was triggering and depressing, mm-hmm. I mean... Liam is at first, you know, he's saying, you know, you don't mean any of this, you don't mean any of this, but it ultimately drives him to suicide. Yeah. By the way, just want to point out this: this is one of the hardest scenes in the movie to parse uh, as a non-Scot. Uh, it's a very the brogue is very thick, uh, mm-hmm. but yes, uh, Liam uh, eventually just wraps a fucking like cord around his neck and jumps out the window. Now it actually ends up being to Joe's benefit because when Liam does that. Uh, just before he does that, actually, he, the building is being surrounded by McGowan's thugs. Like, yeah. they are coming to kill both of these guys. And when Liam fucking throws himself out the window and hangs himself from the from, from that cord, they all get spooked and they leave. Right. So it kind of saves Joe, at least in the immediate moment. And the, the, the most tragic part of that scene is that Joe tries to save him, but he's yeah. so drunk that he's just pulling on the cord around his neck. Yeah, he's just, he's, if anything, he's making it worse. Making it but, worse. But he wants to help anybody. Yeah, exactly. He's drunk, and he doesn't notice quite as quick as maybe he needed to, and he just he can't do it. And so yeah. then we fade from that to Liam's funeral. Liam's funeral. Mm-hmm. And we have um, a very, you know open ending kind of because we see Sarah there and we see Sarah waiting for, um, um, for Joe, for Joe to catch up and And, they walk together. Joe is, but all props to the actor on this one. Joe is not handling this, you know, like a traditionally stoic British person. This is clearly very hard for him. And he's there holding Scott's hand, uh, as the baby, yeah, the baby, as he holds his mom's hand too, and it's it's just it's 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 a rough scene. <laughs> it's a rough scene, and, and, and I mean, I'm gonna say right now, I know they make it ambiguous because he Joe leaves kind of walking alongside Sarah. Yeah, they don't get back together. There's I mean, no way. I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I mean, people bond through trauma, I guess, but I don't think they do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is that I, I really doubt Ken Loach will ever make a sequel to this for us to know, and that's fine. But it, it does kind of leave it open. Can. There is, certainly is the possibility because maybe there's maybe there's a kitchen sink drama in this where she does get back with him, and but then it turns into the, the sporting life. Do you think Ken Loach ever walked into like a shitty motel and he's like, "Well, this is a real Loach motel." Fozzie, eat your heart out. <laughs> waka 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 waka. 
Um, yeah, so this uh, this is how this movie ends. Spoiler yeah. alert. Um, I think uh, I, I don't. I yeah, like I just I don't see them getting together. I just don't. No, I I think you're probably right. I think that they remain friends to some extent and stay in in contact. Uh, because she she's a she's a health person. She gives a shit. I mean, she would care how he was doing. By the way, uh, Peter Mullen, like obviously, definitely the star of this movie. Yeah. But like Louise Goodall gets t- a lot of material, and she holds her own. She's a strong character. She's a really good actress, and I was really surprised she does not even have her own Wikipedia. No, article. no Wikipedia page at yeah. all. Yeah, I, somebody cast this lady. Is she still alive? Even I don't know. It's nineteen ninety eight. I hope probably. so. I mean, she should be. But. Louise Goodall. If you're out there, if you're listening, let come us on know. our show. We would love to. Hey, submit a comment. Tell us what you thought of Transpotting. <laughs> submit a comment. <laughs> come on the show. Fuck that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to have a real live, real person uh, instead of all the dead celebrities that we have on the show and occasional real life people that aren't quite as uh, real as we are? You hope. just wait till Julie Christie shows up at Movie 100. <laughs> That'd be great. I bet you we could get Liam. I bet you we could get the actor to play Liam to be on our show if we really wanted. Jason, I'm going to make that your mission. You go hunt down every side actor, every supporting actor of the movies we've talked about that are alive. We'll find the youngest boy that was in The Railway Children. He'll come on the show. (laughs) The youngest boy in The Railway Children, so he's about uh, 78. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, Mr. Cribbins is still alive. Motherfucker's still alive. He's 92. Jason, you get him. You get him on the Zoom. You get him in studio. You get him to travel here. We're going to talk to him. All wow. about railway children and train spotting. Why not? They should have had him in train spotting. That would have been great. If if, if like if like the guys in train spotting he plays, like he hung plays. out at the at the train station with this guy. Oh, I thought you were gonna say he plays Begbie. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's Mother Superior. <laughs> he would be, yeah. I used to work at a train station, but now I deal heroin to young people. Yeah, so that's the movie. Um, so I think Jason, uh, take a little break and then get into your bits and bobs. Sure, sounds like a plan to me, Brandon. Alrighty, you said my name really weird, Brandon. Brandon. Then we'll be Brandon. Right. That's how Scott would say it. Back. Back. Age of Radio. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oi! Jason's got bits. Jason's got bobs. Jason's got bits and bobs. I don't know what this accent is, but I'm still going to use it to piss everyone off. I mean, mean, let's be real. That's one of your standard British accents. I what? It sounds very much like one of the guys we rent the room from when we do the uh, Brit pickup. I don't know what you're talking about. He's a real person. No, he is a real person. I just think you're doing a pretty good impression of him. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, he's. Uh, you should you should do it for him sometime. I bet you he'd get a real kick out of it. <laughs> he'd probably laugh. Yeah. Oh, he'd laugh so hard. So bits and bobs. Well, let's see. Uh, Joe, I said early on, seems like a charismatic guy, and he clearly is. Uh, it's probably one of the things that's kept him going, that despite the fact that he's, uh, de- for most of his uh, life, at least at this point, has been a degenerate drunk, he's charismatic enough that it gets him by. Hasn't got him, he, he's managed not to get killed so far. So yeah. that's a win as far as I'm concerned. Oh, so here's a little interesting subplot we didn't talk about. Just So 
his football team, they uh, when they play, they wear jerseys. And the jerseys they normally wear are the West German jerseys, which are these um, uh, white and uh, black. Red and black. Well, no, they're actually white and black. Oh. They, they say red and black, then maybe that's a general reference to it, but the fact they're wearing the white and black... Um, Maybe they are red. I don't know. I don't know. Listen, soccer. whether listen whether they're NWO original or Wolfpack, we'll never know. At the end of the day, they're still NWO. Yes, sir. Uh, no, the, these are the yeah. So they wear the West German jerseys, but then it turns out that there's another team this season that is wearing the West German jerseys, and so they have to take their shirts off and play shirts and skins. And uh, it's freezing. And it's very cold. Um, so then later in the movie, Joe in a in a, a rare moment, uh, they fucking drive up and steal a bunch of uh, boxes from a sporting goods shop, and then they show up on the field later wearing Brazil's uh, yellow and blue jerseys, which were certainly in 1998 quite popular because I think Brazil has won the 1996 World Cup, perhaps. That is a bit of trivia that is not in my brain, so I'm well, assuming you're right. The you know Brazil famously one of the greatest uh, soccer teams in the world and West Germany also had had some big wins. Uh, you know the story. I love this. I, I, I it may be apocryphal. I don't know. The story goes that somebody was talking with Winston Churchill, like a German diplomat, was having a chat with Winston Churchill, and they were talking about West Germany's uh, recent uh, win in the World Cup. I think this was in the '60s, and uh, he says to Churchill. Um, Yes, uh, uh, isn't it quite nice that uh, we beat you at your national sport this year? And uh, Churchill replied, oh, well, that's all right. We beat you at your national sport twice this century. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, boom. Oh, Winsty. It's, 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 always, it's always good for him to make fun of the Germans. Maybe making fun of the Irish. Maybe I'm wrong in that. But making fun of the Germans, you can never go wrong. I'm sorry to anyone in Germany listening <laughs> to this. Wait, we love you, Germany. We, you, you are better now. Thank you. <laughs> Make Germany better again. That's right. I, I do want to. I want to say um, they must have got a good price for music in this movie because Sp- Spirit in the Sky plays. Yeah, in this. Spirit in the Sky. It's a, a little like um, on a, on a date montage where um, Joe and uh, Sarah are at the bowling alley. Yes, this was in the days when video games still weren't quite to the level they should have been, so people went out and did stuff. And uh, bowling was one of the things that they used to do before we bowling. Before you had to leave your house to bowl, you used to have to go to an alley. There's a very American thing in this movie. And I don't know if you, I don't know like there's a very American concept of like so when they go when Sarah goes to Joe's house he's he has a lot of classical music. Mm. And you know he says like this reminds me of why I decided to quit. Cuz so I think he said what was the connection again? It reminds me of what I really am. It like they played all the time somewhere or something. He tells a whole story about yeah. it, and I don't even remember. No, what it was. I'm sorry, guys, but no, the, the classical music thing—it's like a trope from it, American it, movies where, like, you know, like in Shawshank Redemption, where he goes in the room and plays opera, and yeah. everyone's all like, all of a sudden, like, kind of lifted, yeah. like everyone's kind of a better version of themselves. And I think it's just like a trope. It's not bad or anything, but it's just an American trope of like classical or opera music just makes everything better. See, it, 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 conversely, it reminded me of uh, in that in Seinfeld when Brian Cranston's character who would date Elaine, that his song was Desperado and whenever it came on, he would like stick his finger up and shut her up and, and, and listen to Desperado. <laughs> also, did this story with Rona, like his, his former girlfriend that he like assaulted or whatever, was this Wait, 10? Rona? I think it was her name. Rona. Uh, Ken Loach knew. Plandemic. Plandemic. Ken Loach knew. It goes straight to the top. (laughs) Sorry, what were you going to say? Well, no, I can't say anything now with the (laughs) pandemic going on. No, but he meant... So, um, 
because he says he's been sober for 10 months. Did this happen 10 months ago? Because if so, that is that is adds an extra layer to that. I was going to say, the main difference between him then and him now is that he got a haircut. Yeah. Because yeah. 10 months is nothing. Not Something long, like no. that, yeah. No. Oh, also another musical thing um, I really liked is when Joe is... Uh, about to, I think he's about to like he's making food for her or something, and he whistles a song. Seems innocuous, but he's whistling in the summertime. In the summertime, when the weather is high. And I mean, in that song, if her daddy's rich, take her out for a meal. If her daddy's poor, just do what you feel. <laughs> what? Wow, I didn't realize that song was so problematic. <laughs> oh well, yeah, that too. But I'm just saying, like that just feels like a very like. Um, you know, a song about different classes dating each other. Yes. And this is th- this is another thing in this movie. We didn't really touch on a whole lot, but mm. it's this idea. Well, we did a little bit, but mm. it's this idea of her being, you know, like you said, a middle class lady yeah. and him being like very obviously lower class. Um, She's very much separate from the world that he is uh, yeah. interacting with. Because they even have a life. scene where he asks Shanks, what do I do? Like, where do I take her on yeah. a date? Like, I don't know what to do. Bowling alleys, 20 pounds. I don't have 20 pounds. Like, <laughs> and Shanks actually gives him money. That's actually the one scene, I think, where he actually does accept money. Well, and the one guy that could give him money. Because yeah. clearly Shanks is like his best friend in the world, the one person he completely trusts, and the one guy that he would take money from. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you remember when they are sitting there and, and she's drinking wine and, he, and she put a glass in front of him not knowing? Yeah. And they're playing that game. Do you know what they were doing? Because I have no fucking clue what they were doing. I was trying to figure it out. Oh, well, I think they were just guessing who sang the songs. Oh, really? So he, you mean like when they were just naming songs? Like, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, trying yeah. To... They were going back and forth. Like he would, he would name a song and she would say like who the artist was. Mm. And then she would do the same thing. Again, video games weren't as good as they could have been. So this is what people did back then. I don't know that Joe would be a gamer. He would love League of Legends. <laughs> He'd be a real asshole on there. Um, I like that Joe. There's the, we do see a little bit of Joe doing one of the the job, and I do like that moment of him doubling down when he nearly gets caught because mm-hmm. someone is like, um, you know, uh, shoot, uh, turn off the turn off the car alarm. You just look at the instruction manual yeah. when he's trying to steal that car, and then well, he no, says, but he's not even stealing it. He was given the keys. Right, right, right. But I mean, it's not his. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not it's his suspicious. car. Suspicious. Yeah. Um, and then you know he says like, "Hey, the guy, the guy that what's helps the registration like, what's your, number? Yeah, what's the registration number?" And Joe, instead of like panicking and everything, he says, "Oh no, I can't tell you that. I got two bodies in the back too." And the guy's like, well, obviously this guy's just having a good time. Yeah, he's yeah. fun. Nothing illegal's going on here. Because he's good at this sort of thing. Because he's had a lot yeah. of practice. He knows how to handle himself. Well, that, and yeah, that just told me like how many times in the past when he was drinking has he done stuff like this. Because mm. he clearly has a very, like a system. Yeah. Uh, a scene that stuck out to me is when she, when after their like kind of first date, she invites him in for tea and he says no. Mm. Because he's a different person now. He's not gonna. He doesn't want to go all the way right on the first day. He doesn't want to just gonna, fuck her. Yeah, he doesn't want to just take advantage of the situation. And I mean, I'm not saying she necessarily was inviting him in to fuck, but no. But that's the implication. But then she gets locked out, and then he's like, "Well, come back to my house, and you can stay there." And she looks at him funny. He's like, "No, no, no, no. it's on the up and up." <laughs> and just, it is. I'll, I'll sleep in the bedroom, or I'll sleep on the couch. You sleep on the bed. He, he's not even the one that that initiates. No, right? Because he sleeps on the couch. She slowly walks in and he gets up and they go to town um and there's that just between you and me i wish that song had been in there it should have been spirit of the sky was there come on guys that's a good song um but i do have a question so do you think um 
Don't you think there's like a cute chemistry there though too? Like when they first show up and he's like, oh, uh, I'll get you some clean sheets. Oh, mm. this has a hole in it. Oh, do you want some tea? Like he's very yeah. stumbly and like nervous and everything. Yeah, because he probably doesn't have people over to his apartment very often and he's yeah. kind of in a but, I mean, anxious he's, place. He's had girlfriends. Yeah. But this is clearly someone he kind of respects and he yeah. wants to like be... He wants to show himself as not this, like, thug that he yeah. used to be, This right? isn't just a bit of crumpet. This is a lady that he sees himself having a future with, clearly. Yeah. Um, he was in a band as well. We didn't mention that yet, but Joe at one point was Ooh. in a band. And because she... So. Yeah, because when she goes into his house, she notices on the wall there's a poster. And he's, he's like, oh, you were in a band? He's like, oh, yeah, I need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, then that adds... In my mind, that adds a little more dimension to his character because it's like, oh, it's... It, it's easier to see maybe how someone falls into this world of like partying and, and getting into the underworld through bands and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Because that does happen. Um, this movie overall might have been the most tense I was watching a movie on the BFI Top 100. I'm just going to say that right now. Yeah. And I know we've watched A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. I know we've watched Bridge on the River Kwai. There are moments in this movie where I was like uncomfortably tense. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's not something... It's not a movie to just... Put on on a Saturday night with yeah, friends. As I've said before, don't get drunk and, and it's not like getting drunk and watching Schindler's List. That's a good time. But. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, he shot that guy. Yeah. No, no, you're thinking of Barney's Great Adventure. Oh, that's that, that is a movie, movie that's good to get drunk. And no, watch. well, I don't know about drunk, but something. Well, you gotta be. I'll get something for it. <laughs> Yeah, but then he reveal. Of course, he reveals himself to her, tells her his his rock bottom moment, and then they make out. It just seems like a weird transition, but also well, I mean later, not had, not yes, like in the same. I think immediately. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think it's also not necessarily just that he told that story. I think it's also that he's vulnerable. Yes, no, and absolutely. And she sees that he's because at first, you know, she doesn't want to go on the date. She even talks to Matt, her friend Maggie. And Maggie's like, "Why not?" And he's like, "Well, he's kind of wild." And she's like, "Ah, go for it." Yeah, I've got bigger titties than you do. Oh, one thing we sorry, did. that's it. That's my Austin Powers. Uh, quote book that came in there one thing I, i'm gonna jump ahead because we didn't mention at all was yeah. that at some point she figures out that she's pregnant mm. yeah mm. now that's not really resolved in any meaningful way that's sarah right yeah sarah yeah. she because she has the tests and shows them to uh her friend and you know she friend's super excited for her i kind of like that that's never resolved yeah. I mean, it's just a detail it's just a, yeah, hey it happened you know yeah. they had sex and Bob, Bob goes your uncle. Yeah, we don't know what the ultimate fate of that baby no. is one way or the other, but that's it. Maybe, exactly. We don't necessarily need to know. And it's interesting, too, because she we see some of her work, and she actually works with a lot of, yeah. you know, a lot of families with babies and everything. So yeah. it may, it, it's, it's, yeah. I think she'll be a good mother, Jason. Yes. I would think so. Um, oh, at one point, I, I, I guess she's not a doctor. I thought she was a doctor for a little bit in this movie, but... Um, when everything goes down with uh, Sabine, like she just tells Joe all about it, and it's like, isn't there some sort of like doctor-patient confidentiality type like ethic thing? Like you work at this clinic and you see shit that goes down. Should you really just be telling uh, even people, especially people that know her, what was happening? I don't think that that's particularly ethical. I understand for the dramatic purposes, but yeah, it just didn't seem uh, it didn't seem kosher to me. I felt a little uncomfortable by that. Yeah, I could see that. Even my mom. My mom's a nurse, and, and she will if, if she talks about anything from the hospital, it was in very vague. She never says names. She would never, ever talk about a specific person. When you said even my mom, I thought you were like, even my mom, who was watching this movie with me. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure my mom would watch this movie with me and be like, I don't understand a word they're saying. <laughs> then you would need the subtitles. Absolutely. Um, 
What else we got here? Uh, oh, uh, I noticed too. Uh, um, I don't know if if uh, the actor with Paul, what's his name, Paul, Peter Mullen. Peter, Peter Mullen. I don't know if Peter Mullen's actually a smoker, but man, his fingers are yellow. Like he he looked like Edward R. Murrow in Good Night and Good Luck. Like he fucking had the yellowest like smoker's fingers, which just makes sense because he's constantly smoking throughout this movie. Mm. But uh, uh, ever since I stopped smoking and took up vaping, it's nice that my fingers are not yellow anymore, and I I like that. So you're saying everyone should vape, even if you're a non-smoker. Yeah, Start sure. Vaping. Everybody get on uh, nicotine. It's the it's going to save us from COVID. <laughs> that was a good bar fight at the end of the movie. Oh, when uh, yeah, when he goes when nuts Joe inside, busts yeah. up McGowan and, and his he guys, fucking just starts fighting everybody straight out of my left foot. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it's my favorite movie about Ice Cube's career. Straight, straight out of my left foot. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis as Ice Cube. No, oh, don't no. do it. He, I mean, he probably. Could. I mean, he could do it. He could, but he just, shouldn't. It's like Scarlett Johansson could play anyone she wants, but should she? No. What if what if Daniel Day Lewis played Ice Cube and Scarlett Johansson played Dr. Dre? I, I you know what? I mean, I'd, I'd want to see it just to know. Listen, listen. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I wouldn't watch it because <laughs> that would be a bold-faced lie. Yeah, no, we'd have to see. It's like watching a car accident. Just like how I will eventually watch Soul Man one day <laughs> for another podcast. You, you, you do a double heading of uh, Soul Man and Soul Plane. Soul Man and Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> the remake. <laughs> oh, man. So that's your bits and bobs? That's bits and bobs. All right. Well, I do want to mention, again, there's not a lot, whole lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, but I do want to mention that this movie uh, did get nominated for one BAFTA. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for, well, what do you think it was nominated for? Uh, best Promising Newcomer in that little boy that played Scott. No, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Uh, best British film. Oh, the uh, big but one. It, but it is one that year by a movie we already talked the about. The Avengers. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, it was won by Elizabeth. Oh, okay. Yeah. That well, was the that, year. I mean, it's hard to compete with a big Hollywood-style production like Elizabeth. I'm honestly surprised, and nothing against the movie at all, but I'm honestly surprised this came up for anything like that because this feels very low-budget, very, like, tucked away. But it must have made impact because it's on the list. Now, I know it was relatively 91. recent to win the list. No, this was 98. Oh, no, I'm talking about the number on the list. Oh, you're saying it's 91. Yeah. Oh, I got you. No, I said the movie was 1998. So it was definitely in the zeitgeist. It must have uh, made an impact at the time. Now, I guess <laughs> the, the real question would be, if they made this list again, would it make it? And I don't know necessarily that it would. but I don't know, but... Well, well, no. Well, let's let's get into it then. Uh, yeah. Jason, what do you think about this movie? I really like this movie. Uh, it is a, it's not an easy movie to watch necessarily, but it is a fascinating, like I say, counterpoint to a movie like Life is Sweet, like a very much a, a, a look at a different sort of life than a middle class family and their travails. Like not a sweet is, life, you might say. No, not a maybe sweet. life is sour. Uh, life is bitter. Zach and Cody are not in here. Life, the sweet life of life is sweet. <laughs> the sweet life of life is sweet. <laughs> if we take all those characters, but we move them to a cruise ship. Was that what that... I thought that was a hotel. Uh, I think the sweet life was, but I feel like they must have ended up on a cruise ship eventually. Disney Channel addicts, get at us. Now, there was also Breaker High, which was a show that used to air on YTV that was about a bunch of high school students on a cruise ship. That, that wasn't just about a, a bunch of circuit, circuit breakers no. uh, in a high school? No, you'd think. That would have been how I pitched it, but mm. no. And I think Ryan, uh, not Reynolds, the other Ryan. Gosling. Gosling. I think Ryan Gosling was on Breaker High. Okay. Mm. 
Yeah, no, this movie, um, I really liked this movie. This movie was tremendous. And another one, much like The Servant, much like uh, Small Faces, where I didn't expect anything going in. Absolutely nothing about it and was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, oh yeah, this this movie is... I mean, uh, Peter Mullen is fantastic. Everybody Mm. else is great. Um, The writing is off the charts. Ken Ken Loach knocks it out of the park. And I know we differed a little bit on Kess. I think you still liked Kess. I like Kess, But I think uh, we felt a little different. Like, I really like Kess. Um, This one I also really like. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, its influence and everything, it's probably not high up. So I could see why it would be 91. Plus, like you said, it would have been very recent. I'm interested to see if they ever do a new version of this list. Because Ken Loach has made a number of movies since 1998. And um, one of them is... uh, the, There's one with Killian Murphy. That's the one I'm thinking it's like of. Something yeah. barley. It, it, it's yeah, the the barley and the brandy waves, or I don't know, but it, it's about. Um, I hope it's, it's called that. It's about the Irish uh, uh, Civil War, I think. And, yes. Uh, yeah, I really want to see that now. I, th- if it's what I remember, I think I might have seen it. It might be coming up. I'll just say that. Okay. It might be on something else we do. Awesome. Um, but yeah. So I think uh, I think I mean I think they should leave it on this list. I think yeah. 91 is even really low for this movie. Um, if we're talking just film quality, yeah. I mean um, I don't want to say too much, but I, I think I would rather watch this movie than Kess. I don't think Kess is bad oh, wow. or anything, but I, I just think that this is a, a, a of the if I had to pick of the two, I'd probably pick this one over Kess. I mean I think straight forward filmmaking entertainment wise probably this, but I, but I, mean, I also recognize the importance of Kess and yeah. what it means to the British film industry for sure. But Jason, now we come to a time on this show, a time-honored tradition. So we like it. We like this movie. Check it out. Rent it at your local Jumbo Video. Or stream it on the Cineplex store. Columbia Flicks. Paramount Plus. <laughs> it's probably there, right? Is it? Is it? Is it? Yeah, I rolled last week. We had our long, our, our oh. 90s run last week. Last week was terrifying. Let's see if we can repeat that. Oh, it, was like, it was like it was like playing craps. <laughs> we are gonna roll the dice right now. I'm gonna roll the dice, and uh, the number that I get on the dice will correspond to the movie on the BFI Top 100 that we are going to talk about next week. So I have a tens d10 and a ones d10, and here we fucking go. And this might take all night. Mortal Kombat. Okay, we're in the 20s, Jason. All right, the 20s. Here we go. You have anything in the 20s? Let's check that first. If we don't, uh, there is one movie in the 20s. All right, let's see if we get it. 23. No, that was Four Weddings and a Funeral. All right, we're not doing that. Uh, it's a great movie. <laughs> great movie. Check it out. We love it. All right, we're in the 50s. 50s, all right. Let's all see right, here. I don't have anything uh, here. Yeah, there's a couple. Okay. 58. 58. No, Man in the White Suit. I already did it. Oh, did recently, too. Yes. Sorry, yes. Alec Guinness. We can't talk about you again. Not more. Not more. Right, let's see. Okay, we're in the. <gasps> no. Oh shit! Okay, we're in the, okay. Shit. Breaking news: We're in the nineties. We're in the nineties. We're in the nineties on the list. Two movies in the nineties. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, ninety-two. Uh, that was in which we serve. God damn it! All right, all right, all right. Come on, come on, come on, baby. <laughs> we're gonna be here all night. Thirties. Okay, thirties. Okay, uh, yeah, there's a few in the thirties. Few in the thirties. Okay. I'm secretly hoping it's something we've already done, so I can roll ninety again. Thirty-six. In a row? No, tell you no. God damn it. Okay, okay. Okay, okay, okay. What? Oh, oh, oh zero. Top we ten. Anyth- oh, top nine. Do we have anything in the top nine? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's okay. uh, two. Okay. Five. 
Great expectations. God damn. Fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'm feeling this one. We're tens. in the tens. Okay, uh, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, Couple? there's three. Yeah. Okay, okay. 16. Next week, Brendan, we are doing 1971's Mike Hodge film, Get Carter. Oh, wow. Starring our old friend, Michael Caine. That's a big one. That's a big one, yeah. All right, Get Carter, Michael Caine, Michael Caine. Which I'm, I've said, I think I said it before, but I'm excited to see this one because I have not seen this movie. I've only seen the Sylvester Stallone remake. I was, oh, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say, I'm excited to see this one because of the remake. <laughs> and it is my favorite film of all time. Well, I wanted to be in that remake of Alfie, but they wouldn't have me. Can you imagine? <laughs> hey, what's up, Alfie? Uh, fuck this chick, fuck this chick over here. Uh, fuck every chick I'm gonna take and get a What would Michael, what would, uh, Michael Caine sound like through the, through the voice of Sylvester Stallone? Oh, God. Say we don't lose it to you, don't. There you go. If you want more of that, tune in next week because we're going to talk about the Michael Caine film, Get Carter, Sweet. the original, the British, the British film. Uh, but until then, Jason, they can check us out all over social media. We're on Facebook. Just search for for screen. Dan Gundry. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find us on our home base at Age of Radio. That's ageofradio.org slash for screen and country. Any podcast apps. All the classy ones anyway. All the better ones. All the good ones. That's right. Uh, you can find Jason on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Check out my sweet retweets. They're, they are pretty sweet. They're re-sweets, as I may. Re-sweets. You got it, baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll talk about Get Carter next week. Another big movie on this list. I mean, not like this week. More like last week. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but until then, I just have to say to you... God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screening Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Get Carter, because next week we're gonna get Carter. Carter. Aaron Carter. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm not a lumberjack or a fur trader. And I don't live in an igloo or eat blubber or own a dog sled. And I don't know Jimmy, Sally, or Susie from Canada, although I'm certain they're really, really nice. I have a prime minister, not a president. I speak English and French, not American, and I pronounce it about, not about. I can proudly sew my country's flag on my backpack. I believe in peacekeeping, not policing, diversity, not assimilation, and that the beaver is a truly proud and noble animal. A tooth is a hat, a Chesterfield is a coach, and it is pronounced said, not said.